Welcome to Circle 3 Cowboy Fellowship's podcast. We are patriots, unafraid and unashamed to speak the truth and spread the gospel. Today's message is from Gary Lear. Thanks for joining us. Enjoy the show. Well, it's good to see the sanctuary filling back up. Uh, Everybody's getting all healed up from their ailments, I guess. Funny, the world we live in today, you get a cough and uh, everybody's afraid of you. If I'd have known it was that easy to keep people at bay, I'd have voted for COVID a long time ago. (laughs) But it's taken a, you know, my clients all knew that I was sick, so it's taken some doings to uh, convince them that I uh, have to come in their house. It's been nearly a month. I think we're in the clear, but uh, one of my clients, I flat out had to tell her, I'm like, if you don't want me in your house, you're not getting any of my crew in your house either because I have to be there to line them out, so we'll reschedule you. It's amazing how COVID wasn't so scary after that comment. All right, so it's Christmas. This is the week of Christmas, so I thought, you know, I need to come up with a Christmas sermon. So this is my attempt at a Christmas sermon. We're going to start with Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 through 7. The prophet Isaiah says, For a child will be born unto us, the son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of armies will accomplish this. You know, he didn't just prophesy that Jesus was going to be born, but he said a son will be given unto us. He's not referring to the birth of Jesus there. He's saying the son of God is going to be given to us for our purpose, for our use. And he was done. That was just done, wasn't it? He came to die on the cross for our sins. He was given unto us. Not just brought into the world, but given to us. So that we could have eternal life. The prophet Isaiah prophesied this nearly 700 years before the birth of Jesus. You know, that's what I love about prophecies. When you see them come true, they're faith builders, right? I mean, we see a perfect example here of God making a promise to mankind. Actually, the first messianic prophecy, and I use this a lot in a lot of my preachings, but we all know that it happened back in Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. Think about that. We are three chapters into the first book of the Bible, and God already knows he's going to have to send Jesus to bail us out. It took us just three chapters to screw it up that bad. See, Adam and Eve were still in the garden when the first Messianic prophecy came about. God, they had had committed their sin and God was handing out his punishments in the garden. And he already knew then that he was going to have to send Jesus. It just gives me hope when I see the word of God come true in his in the, in, in, in the scriptures. And we're seeing it come true in everyday life, but we're not going to go down that rabbit hole today. We're going to focus on a Christmas topic. 
In Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, it reads, But when the fullness of time came, God sent His Son, born of a woman, born under the law. I love that scripture. When the fullness of time came, That means everything that had to take place had taken place according to the predetermined will of God. And we know that it was predetermined because in Genesis chapter 3, he'd already made up his mind what was going to have to happen. He knew all the way back then that this was going to happen. And then 700 years prior to Jesus, we have the prophet Isaiah prophesying what's going to happen. So we know it was a predetermined will. I believe that God's will all the way to the end is predetermined. What we're seeing today, what we're living through today is part of God's plan, is part of God's will. You know, uh, Steve says often from up here when he's doing his announcements, the world's not falling apart. The world's falling in line. And when we start to look at it from that perspective, it's a little easier to swallow. When we realize that it's God's will unfolding... It may not be good things, but it's God's will. See, God's will has been unfolding from the very beginning. And we're about to celebrate Christmas. And we can celebrate a time where God's will unfolded in a big way that gave each and every one of us hope for a future. Jesus brought hope. And it didn't happen until the fullness of time had come. That God sent His Son. And in the fullness of time, Jesus is coming back. Understand that. There were certain things that had to take place leading up to the birth of Christ according to God's will. And there are certain things that will have to take place leading up to the second coming of Christ according to God's will. In the fullness of time. You know, time's a funny thing, isn't it? Sometimes it seems like it wasn't that long ago I was sitting in my high school graduation. Well, thanks for reminding me of that. But when you look back on time, you know, sometimes it seems like it was just the other day my kids were being born. It doesn't seem like it was that long ago. But yet, when I think back on Christmas 2019, it seems like forever ago, doesn't it? It's been a long year. It's, they, you know, as you age, time seems to speed up, right? I mean, we can all attest to that. We look at Betty back there who's 96. You know, a day for me is one thing, but a day for her is like five minutes. I mean, it's a, when you hit 96, it's really going fast. I'm just assuming, but the reason I know that is when she was sick with COVID, she thought she was only sick for three days. Well, I know when I was sick, I was sick for almost two weeks. So that tells you right there the perspective on time varies depending upon how old we are. (laughs) I remember when I would run distance in school, cross country and track and all that. You know, I could run at that time. I could run three and a half miles or three miles or whatever it was in just over 15 minutes. Now, if I were to run a mile, it would seem like an eternity. It seems like an eternity to run the length of my driveway, which I rarely do. Time is a really complex thing when you think about it. Sometimes it seems that time flies by, and other times it seems that it doesn't. 
I can assure you eight seconds on the back of a buck and bull does not seem like eight seconds. Now, I've never ridden a buck and bull, but I have been on a horse that bucks, and it seems like everything slows down right up until the crash. Speaking of crash, do any of you know how to ride a snowmobile? We need to talk. Because we bought a snowmobile to access our cabin with, and yesterday was the first day we took it out. There's about two feet of fresh powder up there, and that son of a buck bucked me off eight times just getting up. You think I'm joking, but it did. Now, I can ride a horse with a cow tied to the end of it and do just fine, but you put me on eight times. We backed that thing off the trailer, and the snow's deep, and I didn't think about the fact that it's on top of the snow and not cut. So we start down the driveway, and Cindy and I are on it, and I built this really nice sled to pull all of our gear in, and we go down, and it's, you know, the sled's not letting it steer real good. Pretty soon, it's, and that thing dug in on one side, and Cindy and I, and I remember out of the corner of my eye seeing her face go into the snow just before mine did. And that marked the beginning of a very long afternoon for me. She had enough sense to get off. I had to keep riding to get our stuff up the hill. I think I, I, think I got bucked off four times before I ever got up to the cabin. So we do. We need to talk. I need some lessons. That's the problem. You guys know me and speed. We, we have trees and boulders and faster and getting bucked off just don't appeal to me that much. So there you go. I think you might be onto something, Wally. <laughs> Get used to it. But I can tell you that the amount of time it took me to get up my driveway yesterday was an eternity. Time is a funny thing. <clears throat> but when the fullness of time came, God sent his son. You know what that statement tells me? When the fullness of time came, God acted. That tells me that God is in control of time. He's in control of it. Everything that God does is based on his timeline. We're not going to change it. You know, I, I, I chuckle. You know, I've got people I know that, that believe if, if they uh, pray hard enough and they, and they beat down the doors of heaven with their prayers, that somehow God's going to change his timeline. You know, God's not the one who needs to change. We're the ones who need to change. We need to get in line with God, not demand that God get in line with us. Because God controls time. Each and every one of us, God has predetermined a set amount of time that we're going to be on this earth. Whether he takes us home by physical death or whether he takes us home by rapture, which I'm voting for. Either way, there is a set of time that God has established for us. And when God's time had come, he sent Jesus into the earth, onto the earth. In Luke chapter 1, verse 26 through 37. This is kind of the beginning part of the Christmas story. I'm not going to go through the whole Christmas story because on Christmas Eve we want you guys to come back and, and spend a few minutes with us. It'll be a short, shorter service. We're not doing dinner, but it's 7 o'clock. And I will read the Christmas story, the rest of it. We'll do that by candlelight and then we'll do communion and uh, have some music and, and we're out of here. So I don't want to take you away from your families all night, but I think it's good to get together on Christmas Eve to do a service. But in Luke chapter 1, verse 26 through 37... In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. 
The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be if the angel said to her, Do not be afraid. That's usually your first sign, right? Don't be afraid. That's when you start getting afraid. So I understand. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will call him Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin. The angel said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who said was to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. Think about that for a minute. Mary was pledged to be married to to Joseph. If you guys remember a few months back, I preached a message on the Galilean wedding and the traditions that go along with a Galilean wedding. The betrothal process was a year-long process. Jesus parallels the betrothal or the, the a Galilean wedding to his relationship to the church, and we talked about that several months ago. But we know that in the very beginning they have a ceremony, and it's a ceremony that the entire village attends, and, and they are betrothed to be married at that time. And they make some promises. They, they exchange vows over a glass of wine, and then they depart for a year. A year. The bride goes off to get ready for her wedding day. The groom goes back to his father's house to prepare a place for his bride. Boy, doesn't that sound familiar? Isn't that what Jesus is doing right now? Hasn't he gone off to prepare a place? And then after the year has come, only the father of the groom can release the groom to go get his bride. By tradition, that's the way it worked. Only the father knew the time that he was going to say, go get your bride. And Jesus tells us that only the father knows the day and the hour which he'll come back. That's not to say that we don't know, you know, in, in a Galilean wedding, they didn't know when the year had come. They just didn't know when the time, the moment, the, the, the hour and the day. So we can watch as we look at uh, end times and we can know that we're getting closer, but we're not going to know the hour and the day. And Jesus says even he doesn't. In a Galilean wedding, and it was always in the middle of the night, the father would wake and he would go to his son and say, go get your bride and the, and the son then would go across town to where the bride was, and he would have a host of his, of his bride's grooms, groomsmen with him, and they would blow a shofar to alert the entire village that the wedding feast was about to begin. Boy, doesn't that sound exactly what Jesus says it's going to be like when he comes back? See, he was parallel in a Galilean wedding. So what we have happening here is Mary and Joseph had been betrothed. They had already had that, 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 that ceremony. And they were in that one-year period where they were apart, but not exactly, awaiting the time that Joseph's dad said, go get your bride. That's where we are when all of a sudden, Gabriel, the angel, comes to Mary and says, oh, by the way, you're going to have a baby, and it's going to be God's son. Talk about throwing a wrench in the works. Mary was young, I don't know, some say she may have been around 16 years old. That's awful young. Think about 
what a great honor this would have been for her. For nine months, for lack of better terms, she housed God in her belly, in her womb. Not the Spirit. We house the Spirit. You know, when we get saved and we accept the whole, our God, the Holy Spirit comes upon us and we hold the Holy Spirit in us, she held the physical God in her womb for nine months. But not just nine months. She spent the next 33 years loving and caring for the physical God. You know, she was there with Jesus through his ministry. You know, the Bible tells us she had been widowed, so Joseph had passed on. She was with Jesus. She was with him when he performed his first miracle at the wedding feast, turning water into wine. She was there. Not only was she there, she went to the disciples and said, whatever he says, do it. You're about to see something. What did Mary know that nobody else knew? Can you imagine? Jesus was 30 years old at this time. What the last 30 years must have been like for Mary raising God in the physical form. I think back on, on the years of raising children and, and uh, all that that entailed and all, I mean, from the diapers to the crying all night long. How do you spank God? How do you put him in time out? My guess is he didn't need it. Mary was there when the angel said that you're going to conceive. Obviously, she was there on that Christmas night when he was born in a manger. She was there the day they had gone to Jerusalem and left and traveled for three days and then realized, oh crap, we forgot something. Oh, I think we forgot to bring God with us. And Jesus was back in the temple. Mary was there for that. She was there for everything. All the, all the times that Jesus was growing up, and we know very little about his childhood years. But there was 30 years of history there that Mary was there for every day like mothers are for their children. You know, you don't stop being a mom or a dad when your kids grow up, do you? You worry about them just as much as you did when they were little. At times more because now they're not right here where you can keep an eye on them all the time. Mary understood these things. But the amazing thing about Mary's story is that it was God she was raising. Think about that. No woman has ever or will ever have the privilege that Mary had. And what a responsibility. Mary was there as Jesus was tried, as he was beaten. I mean beaten. Not just beat up. We're talking beaten. And I won't go into the graphics of what that would have looked like. But following Roman tradition, it was vicious. It was horrible. She saw that. She saw that happening to her little boy. I'd have gone nuts. I'm serious. I mean, being the guy I am, I'd have dove into those Roman soldiers. They'd have killed me because I'd have been trying to get as many of them as I could who were hurting my, my child. But Mary was there. She was there when Jesus was nailed up on that cross. She was there when he took his last breath. I know how hard it is to watch somebody take their first and last breath and have that somebody be your child. But she was there. She was there 
when the tomb was empty. Praise God. She was there when he went on a cloud to be back with his father. What a life. What an experience. She was the mother of our God. The first chapter, or the first chapter in the book of John explains to us that Jesus was God. That's what John's trying to establish. Jesus is God. He was there in the beginning. And this is who Mary had the privilege of mothering for 33 years. Wow, what a responsibility. In Luke chapter 1, verse 39 through, 30, through 45. So after Mary is told that she's going to conceive and finds out that, that Elizabeth is with child, it says at that time Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea where she entered Zachariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby in her womb, six-month-old baby, fetus, baby, leapt with joy in the womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and in a loud voice she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promise to her. <coughs> Excuse me. There's a couple things about that verse that we can learn from. Anybody who doesn't believe a human is a human when they're in the womb. Explain to me how. Little baby John the Baptist, and that's what I'm calling him because that's what he grew up to be. But little baby John the Baptist, at six months in his prenatal age, upon hearing the voice of Mary, now understand, the, the angel had promised that the Holy Spirit would come upon her and left, leaves us and her to believe that she would be filled and the, and the conception would be immaculate, but it would take place at that point. So when Mary shows up at, 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 at Elizabeth's house, it says she's full of the Holy Spirit. I have to believe she's carrying at that moment. So little baby John the Baptist in the womb was aware of what was going on outside the womb and that he himself was in the presence of God. And he leapt. Kind of makes it hard to say that babies from the time of conception aren't live. Because little John recognized Jesus who couldn't have been much more than maybe days or weeks in his mother's stomach. And he recognized, little John recognized that's the life of my God and leapt. Kind of makes you wonder, doesn't it, about that. Just the presence of God. You know, babies are, are, are capable of knowing what's going on around them. I'll never forget when my, uh, when my, my ex-wife was, was my wife and she was pregnant with my first, with Brittany. We had moved back to Missouri where, where I grew up and a bunch of us guys from high school were still occasionally on the weekends. We'd get together over at the gym and just play basketball. And so we'd gone over one afternoon for basketball and, and, and uh, Cassie's sitting in the bleachers right there on the bottom. And as we would come by dribbling the basketball, the percussion of that basketball bouncing off that gym floor would make Brittany jump. And at that time, she wasn't more than maybe five to six months along 
But little Brittany knew what something was going on out there that startled her. That's a living human being, folks. That is a living human being that can recognize something like that and jump. And what we're realizing here is that same living human being is capable of realizing the presence of God. Because that's what happened. Little baby John leapt when he was in the presence of his Savior, Jesus. What a, what a scene that is. Think about that. Here you've got this six-month-old baby inside, not six-month born, but six-month pre, I don't know, I don't even know how you, there, there was a, you know what I'm saying. He's in here and had been for six months. Because I guess we don't start counting until we're born, so I don't know how you count the, the, the negative years, but whatever. And you've got Jesus, who had probably just been conceived by the Holy Spirit, together, and little John recognizes Jesus and leaps in his mother room, mother's womb. Now, fast forward 30 years. You've got that same little John the Baptist baptizing that same Jesus in the river. But beforehand saying, I'm not even worthy to baptize you. See, he, re- he, knew, he knew from the time he was in fe- fetus. He knew from before the time he was born who this Jesus was. And 30 some odd years later, he still knew him. And he said, I'm not worthy to baptize you. But Jesus insisted. And he did it anyway. What a scene. What a life. Think about that. What an amazing story this Christmas story is. But in every good story, you've got the good guys and the bad guys, right? And we know leading up to this point, the bad guys, Satan. See, all the way back in that Genesis chapter 3, God promised Satan that Jesus was going to come. And he said, you will strike at his heel and he will crush your head. Satan knew what God promised all the way back then and had been working for all of these 4,000 years, roughly, to prevent this moment from happening. Think about how big this moment is, the birth of Jesus Christ. Now, we'll get to the moment on Christmas Eve, but we're leading up to it. But you think about that. Satan had anticipated it for 4,000 years and had been working for 4,000 years to do everything he could to prevent it. He had been. I mean, we've studied the Nephilim and and what that may or may not mean, and I'm still not making any absolute statements, but if the Nephilim are what, what it looks like they possibly were, that was Satan's attempt to stop this moment from happening. Through all of the times that God had chosen his people and he knew that he was going to bring Jesus forth to the Hebrew people through all of those times. What did Satan do? But he worked to deceive them, to drag them into sin and successfully did many times. At one point we had them practicing Baal worship, which is Satan worship, which is, by the way, the sacrifice of babies. A lot of the same crap that's going on today in America that we don't want to look at. Baal worship is no different. But anyhow, this had gone on, and, and, and you know what? Every time that, that he would bring the Israelites down and God would punish them and, uh, and, and, and allow them to be taken captive or whatever, 
God, through his prophets, would bring them back and restore them back to where they had them, exactly to the place they needed to be. The fullness of time had come when Jesus would be born. See, Satan couldn't stop it. God controls time, not Satan. So all of this had taken place. But it didn't stop with the birth of Jesus. We know that Satan hardened Herod's heart. And upon hearing that a king had been born, he did everything he could to kill him. We know Mary and Joseph had to flee to Egypt. And every male child under the age of two in Israel was killed. That was the work of Satan, people. That wasn't the work of God. We know that even as an adult, Satan took Jesus up on the hill and said, throw yourself down. And I'll give you everything you see. What an arrogant statement to make to the man who created everything he was seeing. That's like me taking Jim out here to the truck that he owns. And saying, give me $500, I'll let you drive it home. Same difference. How ridiculous was that? Even up until the brutal beating and death of Jesus. Satan thought he was winning. Until that Sunday morning. The tomb was empty. And it was obvious that was the, the, the final nail in Satan's coffin. See guys, God controls time, not Satan. And the story is written. We win. It's already done. We win. When I say we, I mean those of us who have accepted Jesus as our Lord and Savior. Those of us who have no longer considered ourselves citizens of this world, but only residents. We win. So the only thing that Satan has left is to try to pick us off one by one. And that's what he's doing today. He knows the outcome. You know, you know the story of Jesus casting the demon out of the, the man and putting him on, into the pigs and then driving the pigs off the cliff, right? As they come across the Sea of Galilee, the, the demon man comes out and the demon says, Son of God, what business do we have? That demon recognized Jesus. Jesus didn't have to introduce himself. And he says this, Have you come to destroy me before the time? See, even the demons, even Satan knows that he's on a short leash. He knows that there is a time of his destruction and it will be handed to him by our God. And he knows that. Today he knows that. He knew that then. Because God controls time. In the fullness of time, God sent his son. And in the fullness of time, his son will return. John chapter 14, verse 1 through 6. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. If, <clears throat> believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would not have told you, because I am going there to prepare a place for you. Sound familiar? We just talked about the Galilean wedding and what Joseph would have been doing at the time Mary went to Elizabeth's house. Joseph would have been back at his dad's place building on, getting that house ready for his bride. That's what we have Jesus doing today, now. Because I am going there to prepare a place for you, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I am coming again, and I will take you to myself 
so that where I am, there you will also be. And you know the way where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How do we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's the only way. You can't be good enough. You can't give enough Christmas presents this year. Although if you want to try, you can start with me. But I'm just telling you in advance, it ain't going to work. You can't do enough to get into heaven. Only through believing in Jesus will you ever come to know the Father. That's the only way. So that just tells you how important this this event is that took place on this holiday that we're about to celebrate. God sent redemption to the world. That through him we'll have everlasting life. Jesus then promises us that for those of us who know him, he's coming back for us. Now we've watched prophecy all throughout scripture be prophesied, in this case 700 years prior, and then come true. But Jesus is prophesying when he says that he's coming back for us. So I want to remind you of the words from the angel Gabriel that were given to Mary. And it says, for no word from God will ever fail. Think about that. Everything that comes out of God's mouth will come true. This is the angel telling Mary, no words from God will ever fail. Guys, you can take that to the bank. That has more value than the, than the failing dollar. Or more value than anything we have here on earth. That is the most valuable gift we can have. That no word from God will fail. And only through Jesus will we come to know the Father. And Jesus is promising to come back and get us. So as we're sitting here at the end of 2020, which has managed to last for a decade, I think, seems like, and we're looking into 2021, and I hear so many people say, oh, I can't wait to get 2020 behind me. Well, I don't think 2021, at least according to the Word of God, probably is going to be a bowl of cherries either. And that's okay, because God is in control of time. This is according to His will. His will be done. I'm okay with his will being done. But as we head into the next year, we need to remember the words and pin our hopes to the the ones whose birth we are celebrating. Regardless of what is going on in the world around us, we need to first remember that we are only residents. And when I say we, I say those of us who have accepted Jesus as our Lord and Savior. We are only residents where we are staying. We are citizens of heaven already. Already, our citizenship belongs in heaven. What we're dealing with down here is temporary. So we need to hold on to the promise of Jesus that says he's coming back to get us. Regardless of what we see, we have his promise. We have the words from the angel Gabriel that were given to Mary that No words from God will ever fail, so we can hang on to that. We can pin our hope on that. And we can know that nothing can take this promise away from us. Nothing. Satan has tried and Satan has failed. That book is closed. 
Nothing can take God's promises from us. And God's promises never fail. So as we head into the next year, whatever happens around us, whatever is going on in the news or whatever is going on around us in the world or, you know, with all the stuff we're dealing with, know this. God wins in the end, and those of us who are with him win in the end too. It's a done deal. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for these who have come. And most of all, Lord, we thank you for sending us Jesus to come die on the cross to be our redemption so that we can have life everlasting and that we can pin our hopes on that. Lord, we are a hopeful people. We're not a defeated people. We're not a discouraged people. We are a hopeful people in the promise because we know, Lord, that you keep your promises. Lord, we thank you for this time we've had. We just pray that you be with us go throughout the rest of this week. Bring us all back together on Thursday evening. And uh, Lord, most of all, just watch over and keep us, each and every one of us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you've never accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior and you'd like to, but you're not really sure how, please feel free to email us at circle3podcast at gmail.com. Again, that's circle, the number three, podcast at gmail.com. We would love to help you out. If you enjoyed this episode, go ahead and click follow. That way you never miss a message. Cowboy churches are the fastest growing in the nation, so there's sure to be one near you if you'd like to try it out. Have a great day. See you next time.